Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Patrick D. Hahn, and he has written The Alien Handbook, A Guide to Extraterrestrials. Thank you for being on. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, so so this book that you've written, it is a channeled book? It contains a lot of channeled information, yes. All right. So how did this all begin? How did you start channeling and how did you begin making contact with entities that could tell you about aliens or in contact with the aliens themselves? Uh, The channeling part of your question began without me realizing it many decades ago. Uh, For the interest of listeners, I am now 61 years young and a couple of months. So the year my channeling began in an active way, oh, probably late 1960s, maybe late 1970, but I had no idea. And through most of my life, certainly all of my adolescent teenage years and through the better part of my adult life, I didn't know that information that was coming to me was channeled. I just made the assumption that most of what was arriving and most of the information I was getting was fairly typical and representative of what happened with most other people. I discovered that's not the case. But Many of us, to a great degree, judge others with a yardstick or a ruler that matches ourselves. We, we, we think of other things in units of what we are. And that's what I did because I didn't really think about it. Mm-hmm. Who really thinks about how their mind works? It's like who thinks about their stomach digesting? You eat food and you don't actively think about the different steps unless I guess you're a gastroenterologist and you're in school or if you're a pulmonologist and you're considering the breathing function, but most people just eat or breathe or whatever they do and they don't think about it. And I did not either. Well, uh, a whole bunch of different things happened in life, career changes. I came to the end of a long successful career in uh, financial services, uh, not knowing that I was really coming to the end of it. And part of that change involved a lot of mental urges and nudges and ideas. They go by lots of different names, inspirations, some people say, to begin writing about a lot of these ideas that would come to me. And that was really the beginning of the channeling, which resulted in this book, uh, The Alien Handbook, A Guide to Extraterrestrials, essentially is something that I was probably uh, convened by the readers of my website to produce. Many of them have had questions about alien extraterrestrials or visitors to Earth 
uh, use whatever term you like, ETs, there, there are many. Uh, they've had a lot of questions about them. And they put those questions to me. Uh, the reason for the channeling with the aliens is because for a time there, uh, I was channeling the souls of deceased famous people, uh, well-known figures, either villains or famous people or heroes or scoundrels, you name it, uh, who are well-known throughout history. Uh, I even assembled a, a large number of those channelings into an online book for the convenience of some of my website's readers. Mm -hmm. And many of them suggested to me, would it be possible to do this with alien extraterrestrials? That's not a subject I paid very close attention to. One of my readers told me that alien extraterrestrials are essentially telepathic communicators. They, they quote unquote channel back and forth. They don't typically use spoken words and they do use written communication, but not the way we do it, which is essentially written code for the way people speak. Uh, anybody who has watched little kids learning how to talk sees this. It's automatic with human beings. Uh, the kids grunt and make little sounds. Parents talk to them. The kids hear the sounds. The kids attempt to imitate them, but mostly the kids start out grunting and groaning or making whatever sounds they like. Uh, and then speech on, on a small child, a one-year-old, two-year-old, what have you, increasingly improves right behind their listening comprehension. Actually learning to read and then write, that comes much later. That comes from school. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the pattern of communication. Well, uh, my website readers told me about aliens and telepathic communication. And I said, well, if that's what's being done, that's probably very similar to, if not just like what occurs between a human being and that person's guardian angels or what often happens between the soul of a former human who has died and passed on, but their soul lives on, as is commonly said, into eternity. Is that communication possible? A little bit of a side topic there. That's a very interesting subject because many, many people consult psychics or mediums or channels or fortune tellers or gypsies or whatever have, whatever have you uh, precisely to do that to establish contact with a loved one or a friend or a relative who has passed on. So I tried that a little bit and discovered some interesting things about it, that I could do it, number one, and that number two, there were a lot of misconceptions because the general preference and idea that most people have is that they can recreate their deceased relative or friend and bring them back and have that person return intact as an ongoing continuation of the same human being they remember. Nothing wrong with that. That makes perfect sense. Uh, the problem is, in many cases, it doesn't work because once a person passes away and their soul leaves the body, as is the established belief in many world religions, uh, my, my particular training was in Roman Catholicism. So anybody that's been to a Roman Catholic wake or funeral service or anything like that and listened to the eulogies and the uh, the rites of of, uh, of passing on, uh, understands this. This is this the standard belief of many people that we have uh, returned to heaven after our body has died, and that we can communicate. Well, yes, that's true, but 
the human being that that person lived is doesn't exist anymore. That soul has now returned back into the much broader knowledge and understanding. And if that soul wants to come forward, and if that soul wants to present her or himself as a version of the life they once lived for the benefit of the humans communicating, they will do that. They can do that. But that means that's not who they are. They have a much broader version and understanding of their former life. Well, back to aliens. Uh, the aliens are essentially doing the same thing because they communicate with one another telepathically. Uh, and that's essentially how they communicated with me once I asked them to do it. And they came, they were happy to come forward and talk openly and provide all sorts of information, descriptions, answer questions, uh, pretty much anything that I really wanted to know. So how did you make this initial contact with the aliens if you hadn't done it previously or if they hadn't reached out to you? Uh, I started reading a little bit about them and I started asking questions back at my website's readers who were much more familiar with the topic, just to give myself a little background and understanding. Uh, this is exactly what happens when a person will go to a tarot card reader, an oracle card reader, or a medium or a psychic. They have to ask questions. If somebody goes and pays money to a tarot card reader and sits there and says, tell me about myself, they're just throwing their money away. They have to ask the question, uh, often several questions, depending on what's going on. Well, it's the same thing uh, communicating telepathically. The questioner or the querent, I learned that word, the questioner has to formulate their questions and, and decide what they want to know. Well, if you don't know anything about the topic, that's not so easy. So I decided to give myself a little brief background in it to learn about what was understood and what was known about alien extraterrestrials. And once I believed that I had a good base of information, uh, then I started putting questions together. And from there, the book flowed like opening up uh, the sluice gates on the overflow of a, of, a, of a hydroelectric dam. The information started flowing all on its own once I asked for it. And once I understood, acknowledged, and believed that I could get it, and it came in huge volume. It still does. Wow, that's incredible. So so when you do this communication, how do you do it? Do you like meditate first? Uh, no. Uh, much more simply, I simply concentrate much the way I think most people would concentrate on a task or a destination, something they need to do. I need to go someplace and I need to be there by a certain time. But wait a minute. I remembered I wanted to do something else. Can I do something else? How long is it going to take? That sort of thing. Uh, a person will concentrate on the different steps they have to make, think it through, and pretty much the, 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 the good plan, the, the, the good method will come to them. Okay, I won't do that. I won't do this. I'll just do that. I'll run this errand and then I'll make it to the airport on time to pick up wherever I have to get, that sort of thing. And just a little brief concentration. I do something like that thinking of what I want to know and from whom or from what type of entities I want to know. And almost within seconds, the information starts flowing back to me, uh, coming into my head as, as almost my own thoughts. A uh, little aside on that, every human being has the telepathic ability. Every human being can communicate that way in the same way Almost every human who can speak, who is monolingual, 
can also become bilingual or trilingual, but most humans don't. However, most humans do accept the fact that if they were moved to a different country or a different part of the country where another language was spoken at a young age, they would easily integrate into that new language and edit and learn it simultaneously. The closest example I could think of would be a person who was born in Western Canada in an English-speaking family, and then suddenly the family moves to uh, Quebec City in the province of Quebec. Well, almost immediately that young child is going to be exposed to French. Guaranteed by the time that child is six, he'll speak fluent French and English and fluent French with a precise Canadian French accent. Everybody accepts this. If there's enough mental and speech ability to learn how to talk, and almost everybody has that, well, they can learn another language. As we get older and older, it can become more difficult. People understand that also. But the ability is always there. Well, telepathic ability is a latent ability, which is not as latent or hidden as most people believe. However, when it occurs, it goes by all sorts of different names, a hunch or an idea or a feeling, or I just know that, etc. cetera. Uh, an obvious example most people will understand will be animals, uh, especially pets. Cats and dogs seem to know things uh, almost instinctively without any obvious way of understanding how they know. As someone who is aggressive, who has ill intent, who approaches a dog's owner or master, the dogs are on alert. They know what's going on very fast, almost always before the humans do. Right. That's telepathy. They're picking up on the telepathic energy coming from the approaching individual. By the same token, if an approaching person is a very sympathetic and gentle person, the animals pick up on that anyway. And they immediately start wagging their tail or going meow or approaching or rubbing up against a person from whom the telepathic information is very good. Well, all humans can do it also. The difference is humans have to practice it just the same way a human would have to practice learning a new language, learning how to listen and understand and then learn how to speak, or the way humans would need to learn to practice all sorts of things. Uh, we don't do them in many cases. How many people would learn how to type on a keyboard by the traditional method that was taught back when keyboards were on typewriters with paper. Almost anybody can learn to do it at almost any stage in their life if they have any use of their hands, except many of us, and I'm guilty of this myself, don't do it. We hunt and peck, but we all know we can if we want to. If we dedicate ourselves to it, sit down with somebody that knows how, follow an online course, something like that, we can learn how to do it. Telepathy is no different for most people. However, Socially, telepathic communication is considered a mystery at best. Often it's considered kooky. In many cases, many observers who know a little bit about it are skeptical and doubtful because it doesn't trigger the five senses. And we're human beings. Uh, we're oriented and structured around the five physical senses. And if something is not within those five physical senses, we doubt it or we disbelieve it outright. We can't see it, hear it, feel it, smell it, or taste it. It just doesn't exist. This is a very interesting concept because at the same time, many people who, who, who have this, this focus about what can be perceived, 
place great belief in all sorts of things that they can never see, feel, hear, sense, or touch. Like, for example, viruses. How many people right now believe all sorts of things about viruses, which mm-hmm. are true, by the way. But up until not many years ago, probably about 90 years ago, human beings did not know what viruses were. We couldn't see them. We did not have microscopes with sufficient magnification or acuity to identify something as small as what a virus is, which is maybe 100 nanometers. For anybody out there not immediately familiar with that term, a nanometer is a distance which is equivalent to one millionth of a millimeter. So something that's 100 nanometers in diameter is very, very small. That's large for a virus. Uh, And in the first initial research, for example, Dr. Walter Reed, who later on had a medical center in Washington, D.C., named after him for his research into the yellow fever virus, uh, discovered that there was something going on. But identifying a microbe that small didn't come until the 1930s. Today, everyone accepts that they exist. Why? Because we figured out a way that we could see them and take pictures of them. And we've all seen them Mm -hmm. since then. So humans have another example is the moon. Well, you look up in the sky. Can you see the moon? Well, no, not if it's on the other side of the earth. Well, we can't see it, so it doesn't exist. That was the belief for a long time on on Earth amongst humans. Uh, The sunset. So it doesn't exist. Of course it exists. You just can't see it, but it's there. And when the sun returns to affecting one or two or several of the five senses, we'll believe it. Air. Uh, Up until what stage in mankind's history did we disbelieve the presence of air or what was in it? And there are a zillion examples. I could go on for half an hour. Telepathy is similar. We don't see it. We can't hear it like a spoken word. We can't see written words on a page. Uh, So it doesn't exist. Well, it does exist. It exists very strongly. And every human being can, to an extent, learn to understand telepathic information. All human beings can transmit telepathic information fluently and easily right now, immediately. That's what happens when a person speaks. The mind creates the thought. Then the brain assembles the words and sends the commands to the mouth and the voice box and forms the words and out they come. But before that occurs, the thought has to be created. Well, that thought is not captive to the inside of the cranium. That thought emanates out. Again, I'll take the Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic uh, Church example. Uh, for anybody that is not familiar with Roman Catholicism or maybe some other similar religions, I think the English Catholic or the Anglicans uh, do a similar thing. It's called communion. And everybody lines up and has a piece of the host, a small little, looks like a cracker, a piece of unleavened bread. And that represents the body of Christ. And if they want, they can have a little sip of wine, and that represents the blood of Christ. Well, not everybody can do it at the same time, so everybody lines up. So the people that have that have received communion, while they're still waiting for everyone else to finish, they go back to their to their seat in their pew and they sit down. It's very common for people to sit down, kneel, and and offer a prayer. Offer a prayer where, to whom? That's telepathy. They're sending their information. When, you, when, when someone suggests, oh, say your prayers, I'll send my prayers to your friend or your relative, that's telepathy. All humans do it. Hmm. it. The better a target can be identified, which means the more a person believes 
that in fact, the recipient of their telepathic energy exists and will get it, the better it gets delivered. And the flip side, turn that coin over, the better the information or the answer comes back. The most direct telepathic communication that occurs for virtually every human is with any one human being's guardian angels and guides. Every human being has at least one, and that's rare. Most human beings have several. So uh, the guardian angels and guides, they're with us constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at every moment. Uh, They know all of our thoughts, all of the things that we're thinking, and all the things that we're doing. It is impossible for us to hide or conceal anything we think, believe, or do, and nothing. Everything goes through and if we ask for them to answer us back, they will. So when people say, oh, my prayers were answered, well, that's what happened. Uh, they heard your prayer and they put things into motion and they took care of it or they, they, they speak to you. Because people can't hear this with their ears, they tend to doubt it. However, if practiced, they would learn this. Anyway, this explanation of telepathy is exactly what happens with alien extraterrestrials. Because they're telepathic communicators, When someone specifically asks one to come forward and communicate, if they're willing and able, and they usually are, they will. So that's what brought about the beginning of the book, and and that's why I decided to do it. Interesting. So when you started making the contact with the extraterrestrials, what Mm -hmm. were some of the first things that they communicated to you? Was there like any type of protocols or anything like that? No, I started asking them questions because of all the, the, the ideas that are tossed around all over the place. Like, for example, I remember when I was a, a teenager, there was this very popular movie called E.T., Phone Home or something like that. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was about extraterrestrial visitors to Earth and they had a youngster and the kid got lost. It was very funny. It was exactly like parents losing their kid in an amusement park in the movie, as I remember it. Uh, And then the other kids in the neighborhood found this youngster and they started playing with him and they became great friends. And he, this extraterrestrial, had this magic finger and he could touch stuff and he could light stuff up. I remember that. And it was it was very entertaining, very funny movie. So I asked my extraterrestrial visitors initially, is that really true? And they said, no, that would never happen. We would never bring a child to Earth any more than human beings would put a five year old in an Apollo capsule and go fly around the moon. But we would never do that. Uh, that, that. That'd be crazy. That wouldn't make any sense to, to bring a child. What's the purpose? It, it's no upside for the kid, for the youngster, and it's all risk. We wouldn't do that. Uh, okay. So then I started asking all the different sorts of questions about, are aliens dangerous? Are aliens vicious? Are aliens going to invade Earth? What's the purpose? And I got a lot of laughter back. Uh, that particular angle of the whole alien extraterrestrial subject, uh, the beliefs that many people hold, literally cause all of the aliens to, if they could do it, roll on the floor and laugh. Because it's just, just not true. None of it applies. So I started asking all these questions, and that's how the information began to flow. And that's how I learned a lot about them from the aliens directly. What emerged most Uh, strongly and obviously to me was an aspect of the alien extraterrestrial topic that most humans don't consider. Are we, the human beings, mostly interested in aliens because we want to know about them? Or 
are we the humans mostly interested in what the aliens can tell us about ourselves from their point of view with their knowledge their experience their perspective not the human perspective uh, we do this on earth all the time it's called politics trying to figure out what the guy on the other side of the equation thinks and then he's trying to figure out what you're thinking Right. Uh, to gain an advantage, to to come to a consensus, whatever the purposes are. This aspect of the alien extraterrestrial issue isn't normally considered. Uh, and what I have discovered and, and has become a little bit disappointing is that the vast majority of humans who are aware of and interested in the alien extraterrestrial topic, what they want is essentially thrills or entertainment. Most humans are not interested in hearing about mankind and humanity. Most uh, humans that know about aliens want to show. They want to see gadgets. They want to see widgets. They want to see technologies. They want to see ray guns. They want to take uh, joyrides at warp six. They want to go to Jupiter in 10 minutes and then come back. And they want fun and entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. But for many people, the whole topic of alien extraterrestrials is right up there with zombies. They disbelieve it and they don't believe it. Part of this is because, well, there's two, two angles for this. One, the aliens themselves understand better than we do, and many of us understand well, what the effect would be on the human race if aliens suddenly appeared in our midst, if they suddenly started to show up and really physically showed themselves to us in ways that most people have never seen. So that's part of it. The other part is that aliens have been contacting humans constantly for a long time, as long as humans have been on Earth. Humans were planted or seeded on Earth by aliens. Human beings are not in native species to the planet Earth. We were put here by visitors. And humans have not been on Earth that long, about 100,000 years. The aliens told me all this. Explain this to me. So, so why, why, did, why? Why did they do that? The first group that came here that did it were looking to mine gold. They had a problem with the climate and the atmosphere of their planet. So they went scouting around the galaxy. Uh, I'm told that the planet involved in the civilization that came from that planet is on the other side of the galaxy Milky Way from us, about the same distance from the center as we are, but the opposite side. Earth is a fairly rare planet. Earth is a very rare planet in the galaxy. The combination of atmosphere, temperature, the minerals and the crust and the soil, etc., is a, is, a, is a very rare bird. That's one of the reasons we're here. It's one of the reasons so much animal and plant life has been seeded on Earth, and most of it has been originally and then evolved. We're just the latest. We are the latest arrival of animal and plant life that has been put here. So we have not evolved. Humans have not changed since humans were created, uh, except so, with a few small adjustments. In the did, ha, had they ever mentioned, um, was there any other life forms on this planet before us? Oh, yeah, of course. Most of the evolution that we are aware of is true. Uh, first plant life and then animal life. For example, dinosaurs. All the dinosaurs were created and planted on Earth to see what would happen. Uh, dinosaurs flourished and then went extinct long before humans were here. Mm -hmm. That's an example. There are many others. Uh, there are uh, a lot of animal life was put on Earth in 
in uh, microbe form and others in small animals. And a lot of it did evolve over many, 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 many eons of time. The same thing with plant life. A lot of the plant life has developed and evolved. Human beings, however, have not. What the aliens told me is that the most advanced natural animal life that exists on planet Earth, we're aware of it, are the Sasquatch or the Yeti or the Bigfoot. They, mm -hmm. they go by those three different names. They are pretty much what we think they are, but they are somewhat interdimensional. They are much more advanced than humans are mentally. They understand other dimensions of existence and they have the ability to shift into those transit to, to those uh, dimensions and disappear from our view and perception. Right. Yeah, and then they can come back. That's one of the reasons. That's something I've covered quite a bit on this show. Is that, okay. And um, is there any connection actually between Sasquatch and the aliens? No. Although the Sasquatch have had contact with alien visitors, but they are not the product of aliens. So they're the natural inhabitants of Earth? They are the natural. They are the most developed animal inhabitants on Earth. They, and they, they are, they are very, very uh, skeptical and leery of humans because they know that if we were to encounter them in any numbers, we'd kill them. We, we, we'd make them go extinct. Now, I wouldn't say that we would kill them, that we would go after them with bows and arrows and swords and knives and guns, although some people might, uh, by and large. But the problem is we would overwhelm them and destroy their existence uh, by virtue of uh, human euphoria. Uh, some people would be very afraid of them because they're large and they're very physically imposing. Uh, and they know that we could hurt them. They know we have firearms and they know some people would shoot at them. They know this. So they they uh, they just stay away. Hmm. Interesting. But they show up from time to time. They live on the earth. As uh, if you've covered the subject, you know very well a little bit what the uh, aliens have told me is that they almost always live in forested areas where there's heavy woodlands that gives them very good cover. Uh, they can't just snap their fingers and trans transmit or, or or move into another dimension and disappear magically like a Star Trek transporter. Uh, it takes a little bit of work for them to do it, and they don't want to do it in an obvious way. They want to conceal it. They don't want anybody to observe them doing it. it when they do it, it's usually at night, but they're very good at making sure there are no humans around. But from time to time, they cross paths with humans. They're very interested in humans. They like to observe us, but they realize that we're dangerous. It's just like humans like to observe sharks, but we know they're dangerous. Right. So we'll take certain steps to approach them and be careful. Uh, certain bears, polar bears, they're very dangerous in certain situations, depending on what we do. So we'll be careful when approaching them to do that. Uh, same thing with the Sasquatch. So they are the most uh, evolved natural species. Humans were created. The alien extraterrestrial civilization that created us goes by the nickname the Anunnaki. I don't know where that term com comes from, but many people use it. Uh, but essentially their interest in Earth was to mine gold because gold has very interesting properties uh, amongst many of the heavy and noble metals. And when I say noble metals, I'm thinking of platinum, uh, rhodium, and there are others, which essentially are impervious to oxidation. Uh, when gold is ground into a very fine dust, like any heavy metal in dust form, 
it will remain airborne for quite a while. And we've all seen this. Well, gold has an interesting quality to it. It is a very good conductor of electricity and it's very thermodynamic. It will transmit heat energy very efficiently. Many metals will, that's not unique to gold. But the, the beauty of, of gold is that there's a good deal of it in the galaxy and many places, number one. Number two, it can be ground up very easily into powder and it simply will not interact chemically with anything that's around it. So if enough of it is spread into the atmosphere, that will have two effects. It will reflect some arriving starlight or sunlight, same difference, and prevent a certain percentage of that light from reaching the lower, heavier atmosphere or the surface. And it will also trap and reflect back some of the dissipating or radiating heat which wants to go back out into space at night after the sun sets. Well, depending on the atmospheric conditions and how much of the gold dust is put into the atmosphere, that controls the climate very effectively. And the aliens on their planet were having climate troubles and climate problems. So they were looking for a place to go where they could get a lot of gold and then take it back home and grind it up. Well, they found it on earth. The problem is how do they extract the gold from the deposits near the surface, which they did. Well, the problem is the, the vessels that they use to travel here can reach Earth in a, a matter of hours from the other side of the galaxy. Uh, we believe that the Milky Way, correctly so, that the Milky Way is 100,000 year, uh, 100, light years in diameter. So to cross the Milky Way from where their planet is located to where we are, would be a good 60,000 light years, in other words, 60,000 of our years for them to get here at the speed of light. Well, they don't get here in 60,000 years. They get here in about two hours of our time. Well, the vessel that can do that can't bring heavy mining machinery or a machine shop to create that mining machinery. Those particular aliens coming into our atmosphere, it's almost impossible for them to do because of the temperature, the humidity in the air, the composition of gases, the dust, the ultraviolet light reaching the surface, uh, the sunlight effect in general, all the combinations of those things make entry into our atmosphere or long stays in our atmosphere very difficult or impossible for many extraterrestrials. We can understand this perfectly. Venus, which is a very close planet to Earth, uh, somewhat similar in size also, has an atmosphere where the temperature, because of the gases in the atmosphere and the composition of them, are at something like 400 or 500 degrees Celsius all the time. So right there, from the temperature, there's no way humans could ever consider going there. Even if we could go there, how are we going to breathe ammonia and carbon dioxide like that? We're not. So that's just an example right next door of a planet with an atmosphere that is completely off limits for any life that exists on Earth. Well, to a greater or lesser degree, same thing happens with many aliens uh, who have physical bodies like we do, even though they're different, who come from other planets. They can't come into Earth's atmosphere very long. In many cases, a lot of them have silicone or silicon-based biochemistry versus humans and all life on Earth, which is carbon-based. And it's a completely different chemistry. So they can't breathe air that we have on Earth and have the same effect. But they want the gold, so what do they do? 
Well, they're very advanced scientifically. It was not difficult for them using their laboratories to splice genes and manufacture or create a being using DNA from animals that exist on Earth who are right at home in our atmosphere. And they generally use large apes, monkeys, or simians, chimpanzees, gorillas, that sort of thing. Hmm. But they created beings uh, that would live two arms, two legs, that would be able to exist perfectly happily in Earth's atmosphere and do the work for them that they wanted. Uh, we have found the remains of all of these beings, and we call them Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal. Uh, right away, when I was channeled this information, many people said, oh, the aliens came and they created slaves. I said, no, 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 quite the opposite. These were not slaves. Uh, a family has a pet dog. Is the dog a slave to the family? Of course not. It's a member of the family. And how does that dog behave? And what is a dog willing to do to serve its master, to protect its family, to work on behalf of its master? Uh, think of uh, law enforcement officers or search and rescue crews that have all sorts of working dogs. Not only are those dogs obedient, they're happy to do it for their, their master. That was the type of relationship that existed. This didn't, this didn't go on very long in terms of Earth time because all of the work was done and all of the gold was extracted. Now, the masters of these, these voyagers that had ventured out across the, the, the galaxy in search of gold and found it uh, reported back home to their home planet about how they'd gotten it and what they'd done, and they were not well received. Because their masters back home said, okay, now you've created, at this point, there were now several thousand of these beings, these Neanderthal or Cro-Magnon beings on Earth. Uh, the, the, the question back to the alien voyagers, the miners, the extractors was, what are you going to do? You're going to let all these beings die? You, you, you can't do that. You can't create and just let them die off your own purposes. Uh, we humans face this dilemma all the time. Are we going to breed certain animals for food and then the sick ones we just get rid of or are we going to do this? We, we do this all the time with all sorts of, 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 of life on Earth. And there's a great conflict about whether it's ethical or not ethical. Uh, we've all heard of vegetarians or vegans and they avoid eating animal meat for precisely the reason that we're abusing them uh, versus arguments all the way on the other side. The same sort of concept was operating. Well, the decision was made to continue to protect and to upgrade the DNA and the physical form of humans into what humans are now. Uh, Earth is inside of a cluster of stars where there's an association that we're a member of, and we are going. We we, we already know the people in government who have concealed this information. The general public is completely unaware of our membership in this galactic federation, uh, which is the interstellar cape travel capable civilizations of uh, planets orbiting stars within about 200 to 250 light years of our location. Syrians, Arcturans, Pleiadians, Canopians, etc., and some others. Well, they got together to help these visitors from the other side of the galaxy and said, okay, we will help you. And they did. So a lot of the DNA sampling from these other 
races was brought in, principally the Pleiadians. We human beings on Earth are modeled after the Pleiadians, and we most closely resemble them. So human beings were created, and then human beings were looked over and trained to become self-sufficient because the initial mining period, which is probably about 50 or 60 years in duration, uh, was over, uh, but those beings were not going to reproduce or they reproduced, but the offspring that were born to them uh, were much more like the humans we are today. Well, what was programmed into human DNA? Uh, the uh, latent ability of our physical form to change based on the environment and the conditions around us. So we've seen this. People go to a very warm, hot, humid climate. The skin darkens up. Uh, lips get thicker. The nose gets wider. All which increase the ability to live comfortably within and tolerate warm temperatures. A darker hair, curly hair, etc. Uh, those are less desirable physical characteristics if you go to a part of the planet where it's very cold and damp. In those environments, it's much better if the skin is lighter in color and the hair grows long, straight, and mats flat like a blanket, especially if it covers the face, etc., etc. So there are many examples on Earth today of differences between humans. All of these characteristics are uh, latent programming in human DNA so that if we take a group of people who live in a part of the world and have an appearance that reflects the climate and the environment they live in and we move them to Siberia, or if we take people from Finland and we move them to the Congo and we wait about 15 or 20 generations, their physical appearances will change completely. We don't have any studies beyond this because we don't have demographic records that go back 15 or 20 centuries. Right. So we have no way to prove any of this. We have no records of migrations of people, but that's why humans are as different as we are, but we all have very similar DNA. And number two, 98% of human DNA matches the DNA of large, uh, large uh, apes, particularly gorillas and chimps. Yet the evolutionary theory says that there is a missing link. Well, the reason the link is missing is because it doesn't exist. When they say missing link, that seems to suggest that it exists, but we haven't found it. No, no. Look at all the other links we found. Anybody that's well-versed in biology and evolution knows what we have learned to be able to identify through evolution. Uh, we see these silly little incorrect charts that show a tiny little chimp slowly becoming larger and walking more and more upright until we have an upright human walking along. That's not true. That does not exist. That never happened. It is impossible for humans to have 98% of the DNA of a gorilla <clears throat> and not be evolved from a gorilla unless it was done intentionally. It's that missing link, that 2%. But where is the quote-unquote missing link? What doesn't exist on Earth? It's DNA contributed by all of the alien extraterrestrial civilizations who helped out, and that launched the human race. The human race was then watched over for probably a good 300 years to make sure that we learned how to survive on our own in the Earth environment. This all occurred in what's now uh, the continent of Africa, and the initial start of the gold mining was in a part of Africa, northeastern uh, South Africa, near the country of uh, Mozambique, as they say in Portuguese. I speak Portuguese also. It, there are no remnants. There are no um, edifications. There, there's nothing there to prove that this is what occurred there. 
100,000 years ago. But that was the beginnings of human presence on Earth, although migration patterns and other archaeological artifacts have demonstrated very clearly that the beginnings of human societies were in Africa, and they migrated all over the planet. Uh, and, and we did, and changed and, and became what we are today. But the human form essentially has not evolved. We have not changed very much genetically. 100,000 years isn't very much time for that sort of thing to occur. Most of the animal and plant life that's on Earth, particularly the plant life, has been here much longer. And it has, it has evolved. It has mutated uh, to the point where the appearances of many animals changed to the point. Uh, what, what, what remained of the few dinosaurs who survived all of the destruction, we have them around today. They're called birds. In some cases, we call them a, a gila monster, or we call them a Komodo dragon, or we call them a, a crocodile or an alligator. Those are examples of descendants of dinosaurs that managed to survive extinction and have continued on. Hmm. So, so anyway, that's the uh, that's the role of the creation of humans at yeah. the hand of alien extraterrestrials. Right. Since then, until today, humans have had regular visitation, but for a long time, particularly in this latest iteration of human history, the last six thousand years after the destruction of Atlantis, the alien extraterrestrial interaction with humans has dropped off, particularly in the past two, two and a half, three thousand years. Why? Uh, humans just shifted away from belief in it to the point now where, and there are no written records of it, to the point now where humans just simply disbelieve it. Now, th this is funny because the alien extraterrestrials themselves have stepped up their attention and interaction with Earth quite a bit, particularly in the 20th century. They watch us all the time, and they have been observing technological developments. Uh, what really got their attention, of course, was the Industrial Revolution. For anybody that's a student of history, we can go back 2,000 years, 1,000 years, 500 years, and so forth, and we can see a very steady, uh, almost predictable increase in the development of technology, materials, uh, and their uses up until, oh, about the early to the middle of the 19th century, and then the Industrial Revolution, uh, revolution takes place, particularly in what's now North America and, and, and Great Britain. The number of gadgets, devices, technologies, materials that we have discovered, invented, or been able to develop in the past 500 years far exceeds many multiples of the known history of the Earth going back 6,000 years. Well, as that technological development accelerated, we became a fascinating television show for all the aliens to watch us discover, develop, and then put to use all of these things, electricity, uh, nuclear energy, all the things that we have today we take for granted. 150 years ago, there were no radios. So when we discovered how to create and then use electromagnetic transmissions, when we discovered how to use magnetism for machinery and, or, and devices, when we discovered microscopes, uh, the medicines, technology, chemistry, and began to investigate and use these things for practical application. Now, we've been putting on a show for the alien extraterrestrials that's better than the best streaming video anybody's ever imagined. And they've been paying attention to us. They have also contacted many Earth civilizations and leaders. And uh, to what would be the great disappointment, if anybody knew, of most human, uh, most human beings is that all of these things have been covered up and concealed. Uh, there are 
uh, a select number of people who understand very well what aliens are, who they are, what they mean, and what they're about. And they conceal this information literally with their lives. There's a huge cover-up. But the, the aliens are well-known to Earth, and there's contact all the time. Hmm. How about... Um nuclear warfare. Are they concerned about that? Not very much so. Uh, one of the reasons the attention stepped up is because as they were observing human efforts and technologies developed regarding electromagnetic transmissions, radio, later television, radar, uh, etc., they also discovered what we were doing to research and then develop technology to break open atoms. Well, they were horrified. Uh, because they saw what was coming. Now, having said that, every human being has one, and almost all of us have several guardian angel guides around us. They are not extraterrestrials. They are energetic beings who look over us. We call them angels. We call them all sorts of things. Uh, they, uh, they watch over us and they control us. They're with us all the time. They have, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, decided along with all of us, that they would prevent us from ever detonating another nuclear weapon in anger with direct intent to cause harm and destruction against another civilization. And since uh, 1945, that's never happened. Uh, humans have developed and tested all sorts of nuclear weapons, as we all know, all over the, uh, all over the globe. Right. But we've never used them in warfare. Uh, the uh, several times they've been attempted used, but our collective of guardian angel guides step in and disable them. Uh, a lot of the operations behind nuclear warheads is obviously classified. It's hidden for security reasons. But there have been many, many examples where missiles, warheads, even being tested, simply malfunctioned with no, no explanation or no cause. Or they were being shut off on purpose. The alien extraterrestrials themselves are absolutely horrified that the idea that we would set off a nuclear weapon. Essentially, we are a fascinating show as they watch us struggle with it because they see that humans have learned how to play with matches but don't understand nuclear energy. We know how to use it to basically create heat, so we generate electricity with it, or how to uh, uh, kill other people, how to use them in bombs. But there are many, many more uses for it which are much better and much safer, which are not anything like that. We don't know how to do any of that yet. Uh, the aliens do it all the time, constantly. So they will teach us that at the appropriate time. But for now, uh, example on Earth, we are not going to have or see any more nuclear power generation facilities built. Those are finished. And the number of nuclear weapons and warheads we've been told has been going down and has been going down as much as we're told it's going down. It's not very easy to convince a nation, and that includes the United States, that has an interesting arsenal of nuclear warheads to get rid of them so quickly, because the risk of doing so when your potential adversary does not match your uh, reduction equivalently, you expose yourself. Again, what's the likelihood of that occurring? It's low. But the problem is exposing yourself is unforgivable if you had the opportunity to maintain protection and therefore balance through deterrence. Well, the number of nuclear warheads, functional, operable nuclear warheads, 
It's not going down as much as we've been told they go down, but they have been going down. They're going to continue to go down. They're very easy to disable and make inert. The enriched uranium and, and plutonium and the other substances that we create to use in them is harmless until it's placed into a bomb and a certain, certain explosive forces are applied to it. Without that, they're harmless. They can be poisonous if somebody gets near them, but they're harmless. They're not going to do any damage. Until they're put in a bomb, the bomb is armed and detonated. Uh, so the alien extraterrestrials are horrified that we would do this, that we would have these. But that era has largely passed. We still have them, but we're not going to use them. We're not going to be allowed to use them. And uh, that was what started up what has been a continuous flow of visitation by aliens to Earth in much greater numbers than ever occurred before the 1930s. Uh, World War II got a lot of attention. Vietnam, a lot of things that we've done have gotten a lot of attention and a lot of observation from aliens. You mentioned earlier about them, you know, getting the gold so they could make it into gold dust to basically use it in the atmosphere to create a stable atmosphere. Uh -huh. Is that something that we could do now to curve uh, the global warming process? Well, we're not we're not having a global warming process. And the aliens have explained this to me that this is a big hoax that's being conducted for uh, political purposes and power. That said, they've explained to me there have been erratic weather events. That is true. Uh, there are some people out there that say, oh, that always happened. There's no global warming and this isn't unusual. Well, they're full of it. It is true. Anybody can see it. Uh, the obvious erratic events and the extremes are occurring, but they're not occurring because of global warming as we believe it. In other words, human beings, human beings are eye-wateringly arrogant and condescending about our abilities. It is shocking that we would think that we can control Earth's climate. When I listen to these people saying something must be done to control the Earth's climate, I, I, think, I think to myself, what have you been smoking? <laughs> How, we think we can control Earth's climate? They, they scream about CO2 gases, and I think, okay, have you ever heard of a volcano? Study volcanoes, volcanic eruptions, and CO2 emissions from volcanoes. All of the cars that have ever been invented could be driven at 80 miles an hour for 200 years south, and that would produce enough CO2 to be the equivalent of two minutes of eruption of a big volcano. One, just one volcano, or three minutes. So if there are four interesting volcanic eruptions per year around Earth, that produces more CO2 into the atmosphere than all the humans could with all the cars that we have now on Earth driving them around for 200 years. Number two, the, 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 and this is explained to me by my guides. They said very simply, you're ignoring the basics of what you already understand about your atmosphere. Uh, you have higher temperatures at the surface that increases evaporation. 70, 70 or 75% of Earth's surface, depending on how much ice you want to consider, is water. Uh, a significant percentage of that will evaporate water into the atmosphere all over Earth. So if the temperatures go up, evaporation increases. This is a scientific fact. This is not debatable. There's no doubts here. This has been studied ad infinitum. We know exactly 
what the water temperature is, what the air temperature is, what the relative humidity is, and how much the higher temperature will cause an increased evaporation. This is a scientific fact. It is as established as two plus two equals four. So if we have more evaporation and higher humidity, that results in more clouds. That's a fact. That's not debatable. Anybody that thinks that's debatable needs a psychiatrist. That's a fact. So if we have more clouds, what do more clouds produce? More rain. That's a fact. Well, what does more rain produce? Lower temperatures. Rains and temperature drops. What does rain also do? Well, it, it, it provides uh, it provides sustenance for, for, for vegetation. More rain, more green. What, do, what does the vegetation do? It absorbs carbon dioxide and it emits oxygen. So if we have higher temperatures around Earth, that's going to produce more clouds, more rain, lower temperatures, and more oxygen. Because the plants are absorbing the carbon dioxide. And the equilibrium of oxygen production and carbon dioxide consumption that occurs through photosynthesis and plant life reached an equilibrium, my, my, my guardian angel guides told me, and the, and the aliens confirmed this, reached an equilibrium on Earth eons ago, millions of years ago. Human beings are arrogantly stupid, gold-plated buttheads to think that somehow human activity can alter this or affect it. I cite the example of a volcano. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a brilliant volcanologist. I didn't know any of this. I asked the guides and the, and, the, uh, and the aliens to tell me this, and they explained it very clearly. Go study what volcanologists on Earth know about volcanoes and emissions when one of them erupts. Compare that to the CO2 that they're talking about. You, you, you humans do not have the ability. So I asked them, okay, well, what's going on with this strange climate events? I mean, something's causing them. And they said, oh, that's solar energy and magnetic forces affecting Earth's magnetosphere. Again, it's an established scientific fact. It's not debatable. Earth is a massive magnet masquerading as a planet, literally. A huge magnetic field. And that's why we're able to live here. It blocks the solar energy and the solar wind that would affect us at the surface. Uh, we discovered those in the 1950s, the radiation belts around Earth called Van Allen belts. And those are created precisely because of Earth's magnetic atmosphere. Well, we all know about magnetic fields. Take one magnet and put it next to another magnet and mix those magnetic fields and what happens? Well, if we put the like poles together, they push, it, they, push each, they push each other apart with a lot of force. If you put the opposite poles together, they attract each other and the magnets lock together. So uh, that's how we learned how to generate electricity. If we produce a magnetic field and we pass it through a metal coil, we get an electric flow. So that's how we produce electricity. And we've since learned how to study this in great detail. And we now know that electricity produces magnetic fields and magnetic fields pass through conductive material, produce electricity. And the magnetic fields fluctuate and move up and down all the time based on the forces that act upon them. Well, Earth is a magnet and the core of the magnet is the iron and the steel inside of Earth's core. Uh, heat comes from within Earth. The, the idea that there is global warming or cooling based on sunlight, that's a temporary day-long thing. Most of Earth's heat is produced from within. In fact, all of the, the, the temperature of the planet comes from within inside the planet. It's not sunlight that does it. The proof of this is the oil and gas business. Uh, this has been established a long time ago. 
a, a, a an oil crew can uh, spud in. That's the oil oil term for uh, starting to make hole or drilling an oil well. In for example, July in the uh, Eagle Ford uh, Eagle Ford player, the Eagle Ford region of South Texas in July, when the daytime temperature is 100 degrees, by the time they get 30 or 40 yards below the surface, the temperature of the soil there is exactly the same as if the s- same well is being drilled on the Alaska's north slope in January, where the ambient temperature is 40 below zero. So you got 100 Fahrenheit but you go 50 or 60 meters below the surface, and it's the same temperature as in Alaska's North Slope in the middle of the winter, when the temperature of the air and the ground is 40 below zero Fahrenheit. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's very possible. We, we know for a fact, this is established scientific fact, that heat rises and moves away from gravitational force. That's why flames go up and not down. So heat goes away from the gravitational force of Earth. It goes up. Well, where does the heat go? Well, the heat goes to the surface. Well, except 70% of Earth's hard surface is under the ocean. And we don't have temperature monitors on the seafloor. More than that, we don't have temperature monitoring devices buried below the seafloor into the Earth underneath to measure the temperature fluctuations there. But they occur just like they occur every place. This is the cause of the El Nino effect in the Pacific, which causes all the rains over California, because when the temperature of the seafloor or the soil or the earth underneath the seafloor changes, it changes the temperature of the water and that affects the flow, the movement and the currents, and which eventually affects the weather. So they're saying the erratic weather events that we have seen on earth and we have are not global warming that humans cause, or have any influence over, there's nothing we can do about it. These are being caused by energetic fluctuations in Earth's magnetic atmosphere caused by energy flowing to us from the sun caused by energetic waves moving through the galaxy. There's nothing we can do about it. These have always happened. They tend to happen on cycles. And that is what has been the cause of ice ages and other climactic cycles that we have, my guides tell me, scant information about, but we recognize they exist. Ice ages, things like that. How about polar shifts, like the idea that the poles will shift? Well, that's part of it. Uh, Because as the Earth's magnetic field shifts, one of the effects, and they're telling me that this will happen, uh, it's called in physics terms precession, and that's really a physical term for wobble. In other words, the axis of the Earth will wobble a little bit uh, physically. It won't wobble so that it means anything or anything can be felt. It's not going to have any direct effect on the surface, but it will cause the magnetic north and south poles to wander. That's happened already, and uh, this has been noted that the magnetic north and south poles of Earth have moved a pretty good distance over the past 50 years. What's coming, not that far down the road, like within a couple of years, is we're going to have the precession or the wobble along with very interesting fluctuation of Earth's magnetic field to the point where uh, the poles will wander something like a couple of hundred kilometers over a period of hours. That's going to cause all sorts of fun for compasses and other things uh, because of this energy going through. So it will cause the magnetic poles to move as the rotational axis wobbles a little bit. But that's a result of the same sort of energy 
that's causing the magnetic fluctuations that change seafloor subsurface temperatures and change weather patterns and cause certain events. <clears throat> but it's not climate change or global warming that humans have caused or can do anything about. So shouldn't if the current the fact that the earth has a molten core mm-hmm. shouldn't that core cool over time and eventually become solid? Yes. Why does it stay if, that way? If the magnetic field around Earth were not being energized by magnetism and solar wind from the sun, you are correct. But it is. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the, the Van Allen belts, right. when they were discovered, they figured out how intense the radiation was. Uh, the, the first experimental satellites that were launched high enough to enter the Van Allen belt were fried like a like a potato chip by the solar wind and the and the uh, and the uh, and the energy and the x-rays and all that other stuff that accumulates there well that's all energizing earth's magnetic atmosphere which extends out to tens of thousands of miles above the surface earth is a big magnetic field and it catches a lot of magnetic energy and the magnetic field warms up and heats up this it's just the same way a magnetic field when it's used to create electricity in a generator, the generator gets warmer. So if the Earth is a giant magnetic field generating mm-hmm. that much energy, mm-hmm. shouldn't we be able to just extract energy from the atmosphere rather than having yes. to generate it ourselves? Yes, humans did this. Uh, my guides, and I worked on this quite a bit, uh, part of the reasons I... Uh, some I retired from my careers that I've always been fascinated by energy, electricity, etc. And in a nutshell, I asked them to help me uh, develop a new method, which I did to generate electricity in large amounts. I'm not talking about light bulb. I'm talking about power of city electricity from Earth's natural magnetic field. We used to do it on Earth. The, the civilization of Atlantis did it openly. In fact, they abused that technology to the point where they contributed to their own downfall and their own destruction. It's a whole different topic. I won't get into it now. But your question, the answer is absolutely a definitive yes. And this technology, I've worked on it. Uh, if, if, if I had the resources uh, and, and, uh, and I have time, but if I had the resources... I'd have one of these generation units working inside of a year. I could show everybody how you can generate a megawatt with no fuel and no moving parts, taking it right out of our magnetic field. If Donald Trump were my uncle, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd have it. I'd have it running. Hmm. I already have the technology. I already know how to do it. Wow, I mean That's that would be that, that would be I'm a game changer. I'm not all that brilliant. I'm not an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. So it I doesn't mean, require an electrical engineer. It's actually very basic. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I've always wondered about that one. Um, well, that's your telepathy working. The reason you're wondering about it is you're interested in it, and you're getting the incoming information from somewhere, probably your guardian angel guides, mm-hmm. who are telling you they're dropping little bits of information, and that's why you're thinking about it. So how about the aliens sharing technology with humans? Does that happen, and is that technology suppressed? Yes and yes. 
some of it has not been uh, integrated circuits, uh, things like that, uh, carbon fiber technologies, things like that have been developed and used to our benefit. Uh, many other technologies are suppressed. The bulk of the really good stuff uh, we're not given. We're shown how it works. For example, gravity neutralization technology, how to reverse the effects of gravity and hover. Uh, you probably, like me, have heard about all of these videos and, and eyewitness accounts from military pilots describing being followed by little objects in the sky, like Tic Tacs. Mm -hmm. And they're able to go from uh, just hovering above, above the surface of the ocean to 80,000 feet in 10 seconds. But there's no sonic boom. There's no, uh, there's no wake. There's no, no, nothing. But there they are. They see them. They don't show up on radar, but they're looking at them and they got them on film. Uh, how is that possible? Well, that's a, that's a gravity neutralization and our propulsion technique that the aliens visiting Earth use. But they won't give that to us because they know that if they were to share the ability to do that with humans, almost the first thing we would do is weaponize it. And that's not going to help anybody. That's a, that's a sort of interference that's prohibited. Uh, human beings do not require more weapons uh, for a good what. 70, 75 years now, we have the weaponry and the systems to deliver the warheads to destroy Earth. So what benefit is there to mankind to a new way to destroy big parts of Earth, to wage war? We already know how to do it very well. True. And we do. True. So they're not going to give that to us. That's not going to help us. Where they can give us technology that will really benefit us, they have. So back to the anti-gravity. Mm -hmm. Um is Bob Lazar's account true about the element 115 in reverse engineering UFOs to get that anti-gravity technology? Yes. And we have little bits of it and kind of understand it, but haven't been able to build the, uh, the unit. Uh, we've built little temporary, I, I don't know what's the word, proper word for it, uh, prototype that have worked but on a very small scale, mm -hmm. nothing useful. Uh, but the, the gravity neutralization technology would allow us to pick up a hundred ton object very easily. Very simple and move it around. <clears throat> that would be useful. We could certainly put that to good use. Are extraterrestrials taking humans out of places during natural disasters so they wouldn't be missed and being relocated to colonize another planet? No, not against any human's will, no. Uh, one of the things they told me is this, this general fear of abductions. All human beings are born with a life plan that each individual human being designs before they're born. And our guardian angel guides, one of the reasons they're called guides is because the whole idea is to help guide us along the path we choose. Many of us write into our plan, we include in our schedule of human life, encounters with alien extraterrestrials, but we don't remember that we've done this. Almost nobody does. Uh, I met a gentleman at the Ozark Mountain Publishing Conference on UFOs. That's the publishing company that published my book, 
who had been taken aboard an alien extraterrestrial vessel when he was 19 or 20, uh, Calvin Parker from uh, Tuscaloosa, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. He told the whole story. And he kept it quiet for about 40 years because he realized very quickly that everybody was going to think that he was a nut, he was a kook, and he would have never have a normal life. <clears throat> Once he got to a certain age and retired, he, he decided, screw it, I'll tell anybody what they want. And he wrote a book about it, and he describes it. I met him, I had dinner with him face-to-face, just he and I. Is and he the he one that was abducted during a fishing ch- trip? Correct. But afterwards, he said, I thought I was being abducted, but I wasn't. They just took me on the ship and gave me a little examination, put us back, and they didn't do anything to us. Yeah, I think I've, ta- I've talked to him. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. Very personable, very friendly. Uh, real gentleman. Uh, very enjoyable to be around. Uh, and he said, I thought I was being abducted. I was scared shitless just because I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. We didn't know. He and his buddy, who's now no longer with he's since passed on. I think it was the passing of his friend that decided him, uh, was along with him on the uh, on the adventure, so to speak, uh, that brought him to the point where he decided he was going to go public and talk about it because he didn't have to worry about the effect on his friend. He couldn't talk about it without his friend being affected. So he didn't didn't think that was the right thing. When his, his friend passed away, uh, Calvin started talking about it and he talked to everybody about it. He says, I don't care anymore. People say, well, how do you know? How do you know? He says, you can't tell me what I know inside my head, what my experience was. Of course I know. He is one of the most level-headed, down-to-earth, personable family men you could ever meet. If if that man were making up any of the things that he were saying, he deserves 50 Academy Awards for acting. Now, I, of course, asked my guys about him, and they said, oh, he's not even telling everything. It's all very, very true what he says. Uh, I had dinner with him, and he said some things to me privately, which he asked me not to ever repeat, which I won't. And I told him that I was able to communicate with the aliens. And he said, you can really talk to them. I said, well, more important, they talk back. You can talk to them too. Uh, And if they want to listen, the point is, what do you want to hear back? And he wanted to hear a whole bunch of questions, which I'm not at at liberty to ever repeat. Uh, And I asked, he asked those questions and I got the answers back and I gave him those answers. Hmm. But he was very curious and interested in knowing about the people that had come to visit with him which at the time he thought was an abduction. But he said, these people weren't going to abduct me. If they wanted to abduct me, they could have abducted the president of the United States and sliced him up like ham. They had that ability and their technology. He said, they would never do that. They were nice and they were very benevolent. I was just scared because I didn't know what it was. But that was their purpose. They wanted it to be a surprise because they didn't want me to prepare. Otherwise, that was going to mess up their observations and what they were intending to do. Are there any... Mm -hmm species of aliens that have ill intention towards humans, such as the reptilians? Uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say reptilians. There are a lot of names that get bandied about, and they're very bad names, because those names are what people suggest mean civilization when it's just a description of the physical aspect. And the reason I say that is, for example, let's say uh, we have some aliens, and they come to Earth, and they look at mankind. But they're going to say, oh, we're going to meet with the whites and the browns. <laughs> well, if somebody says we're going to meet with the Browns, does that mean anything? Not a damn thing. Right. Which Browns? Brown people where? Uh, what, how, how brown is brown? Uh, how white is white? Oh, let's meet with the whites. Okay, we got some whites in North Korea. Yeah, that's white. Oh, we got some whites in Russia. Eh, not really the same civilization. Not even close. Uh, let's go to see some, well, we got some whites here in Argentina. Uh, they're not like the other two. They're really different. This is the same thing with alien extraterrestrials. So you'll hear reptilians, you'll hear tall gray, short gray. Those are interesting descriptions of the physical appearance, but mean next to nothing when it comes to the civilization. Now, back to your first question. 
Are there any civilizations visiting Earth that have ill intent? No. Are there civilizations that have ill intent? Yes. They're not allowed near us. If the ones with ill intent were allowed close to us, uh-huh. we wouldn't need to ask the question. We would know the answer. Right. Are, They're not allowed. Are aliens ever concerned about us leaving the planet and infesting the rest of the galaxy? Humans leaving Earth? Yeah, and colonizing places and bringing warfare and stuff like that to places where we probably shouldn't. We can't get off Earth in any meaningful numbers because we don't have the ability to get through the Van Allen belts. Uh, you've, heard, of course, heard of Area 51, correct? Mm-hmm. A lot of people of have. Uh, one of the first alien extraterrestrial vessels that crashed on Earth, crashed in that vicinity, and in fact, the, the, the base and the area were created because of it, to seal off the area, uh, because it was being used to test uh, initial uh, types of radar. And it's very easy to make a very powerful electromagnetic signal uh, so that it'll go very far, but it's not so easy to read it back. So these were the initial tests that would be conducted in the 1930s, where eventually it became a fairly refined system of radar. And in that particular case, they would test radar by shutting it on and off, a strong burst, and then they would shut it off. Well, this particular alien, alien extraterrestrial vessel, which crashed, didn't know that we were going to turn on a burst, and it inadvertently, not because we were aiming our radar, it was just being turned on and off as part of the tests and the experiments. This particular alien extraterrestrial vessel flew through an extremely strong electromagnetic signal at very close range, which caused all of its control systems to shut down and have to be reset, except they were going too fast and they were too close to the surface of the earth. They couldn't recover in time and they crashed. So we found this vessel and we found the, uh, the uh, deceased aliens. In one case, I think uh, Several alive ones were found. Uh, not everybody died. They're very safety-minded. They know what they're doing. Well, a whole bunch of artifacts, devices, technologies were recovered. We attempted to reverse engineer them. But one of the things that was found was the protective foil made out of uh, elements and metals, which don't exist on Earth, which were used in the several lunar missions to get our capsules through the Van Allen belt. The advantage is this particular foil is light enough, but protective enough that our technology will lift a rocket into Earth's orbit and then be able to blast through the Van Allen belts, yet not have all of the humans inside and all of the sensitive equipment be destroyed by the radiation. We know how to block the radiation in the Van Allen belts, but it would require, for example, a several inch thick lead plate. Well, that's weight. So what sort of rocket technology are we going to need to be able to launch a vessel uh, that's made of three inch thick lead large enough to put humans inside and then bring it back? Uh, We could do it. But once that vessel with the humans inside makes it into Earth's atmosphere, Uh, And the gravity begins to act upon it once again, and it doesn't weigh two tons, it weighs 200 tons because it's three-inch thick lead. What's going to happen? Well, we could design a capsule where the inner part could be ejected and then the lead lead, uh, covering uh, 
be allowed to fall in a different direction. But just think of the effect of dropping 200 tons of lead from 50 miles in altitude. Even if it hit the water, just imagine the effect. Imagine if it hit land and the crater that it would create. Hmm. So it's, that's not an option. We're not going to do that. Uh, we've been told by alien extraterrestrials, okay, you had your fun with your lunar missions, stay the hell out of outer space. You don't understand what's out there. You don't have the ability to handle it. When the time comes, we'll take you. And they have taken a handful of humans on selective cases. Uh, that's what they tell me. But we on planet Earth, you and I, will never find out who they are, where they are, why. It's all kept secret because humans can't handle this information. The few humans that would even consider it to be true. Most humans would say it's not true. I don't believe it because you don't have photos and videos. So you're just you're delusional. You're making it up. It's not true. Human, aliens can't come to Earth and pick us up and take us to other planets. So I don't believe it. Uh, and the aliens are perfectly happy for us to adopt that attitude and that belief because this does not benefit mankind. So this takes me back to my comment earlier on. And the great challenge with the whole subject of alien extraterrestrials is, are enough humans interested in hearing from alien extraterrestrials about Earth, what they can tell us about ourselves, what they can tell us about Earth societies, how to eliminate money, how to eliminate poverty, how to eliminate all the problems that humans just love to complain about. And I, when I say love, I mean love in capital boldface letters. I, I, have anybody ever seen a politician that just doesn't love to complain and whine about inequality or wealth distribution or, or, or housing? Or You pick the subject. Mm -hmm. And 50 of them will line up and they'll start shitting and farting like, like no tomorrow on that topic. All, all in pursuit of their power and their position as a politician. What, what, what if we had the ability to devise social systems where we could eliminate all? Well, we have that. The aliens will explain that to us mm -hmm. if we're willing to. And they have. They have attempted to explain this to the very few government people. I've gotten this question a lot about, well, if the aliens are meeting with our government people, how come they don't meet with the general population? To which they have told me, the aliens have said, how, is your, how are your government people not part of your general population? They're, you pick them. You create them. There are no societies, sovereign nations, kingdoms, or any other organization of humans on earth that isn't completely created by humans. So if there is a kingdom with a tyrannical dictator running it, all the humans and that king, they all got together and they created that. And some of the people hate it, but they created it. They participated in it all the way over to a very benevolent democracy where everybody is very uh, noble and, and honest, maybe naive. I'm thinking of, for example, New Zealand. Uh, I've been there. I, I know New Zealand somewhat. That's an example. Uh, the United States, Canada, on and on and on. How do all of these societies exist? How do they get created? That's all a human invention from top to bottom, front to back, left to right. It's all human. So the aliens come and they see Earth and they see these human institutions, these human organizations, and the people who are elected or put in charge or who seize power from their subjects who are unwilling or unable to oppose them or, or don't want to. Well, who do they contact? Well, they can't, can't contact 100,000, 200,000 people at once. Uh, are they going to have a stadium built for that? Are they going to be able to get 200,000 or 300,000 or 3 million people to listen to them? No, not, not immediately. So they'll have to start with the key leaders that humans have chosen and humans have installed. And they have and they do. Well, what happens? 
all those people in government as a priority, and we're seeing it all now. Human governments are, their number one priority is to protect and perpetuate the power and the authority and the position of government. Now, they'll all say that's not true. Our job is to serve the people. But examples occur daily. I mean, what's going on right now with the administration and the White House is, is, is laying all this out. Obviously, for anybody that's paying attention, that preservation of image, position, priority, and power is number one. That's the priority. Uh, so when the alien extraterrestrials show up and the human representatives discover that here are these people that come from across the galaxy that have technologies we can barely understand, it's so advanced, who can read our minds, and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. We could never attack them. They can neutralize our weapons and defend themselves without hurting anybody. They can neutralize our ability to move against them in a violent way, even before we start doing it. They can read our minds before we even pick up the gun. They know that we're intending to draw the gun before we even get our hand on it. So they prevent us from even doing that. Uh, they stop us, they have that technology. But they're our friends and they don't retaliate. They don't hurt us. They just no, no, see that the one that won't work and that's not good for us. That's not good for you. Don't do that again. Well, the people in charge are pretty smart. Even very, very psychopathic, uh, brain damaged, powerful leaders are not dumb. They're very intelligent and they're very much interested in self-preservation. So when they attempt to use what humans are given to do, a force to defend their position, they so suddenly discover that you can't use that force at all. It's ineffective. And in fact, might become suicidal. They very quickly back off. And don't, they don't do it. They don't use it anymore. They know it's not going to work. Uh, and then they begin to listen because generally, and this is the human default value. Uh, we are very, very respectful of power and force, especially in someone or something that is willing to use that power against us to harm us. We will pay very close attention to that thing. So the alien extraterrestrials had to explain to us, okay, well, now that we've got that little side sideshow over with, and you understand that we're not here to hurt you. This is why we're here. And they've told us about ourselves. Well, the problem is the things that alien extraterrestrials could offer human uh, societies and mankind, humanity in general, for our benefit, break the rice bowls of too many people in positions of power who absolutely will sell their bleeping children tomorrow if forced to make a choice between that and giving up their power, their position and their privilege. Okay, not all of them, but they've all learned how to howl to say that anybody like me suggesting it is full of them. But in practice, their actions keep demonstrating this. So they have concealed the information. Uh, the alien extraterrestrial visitors to Earth have grown weary of this, but they are very respectful of us and our societies and how we've structured them. And they're not doing this out of great benevolence. They're doing this out of self-interest and preservation. If they are, were to go around the leadership that we select, we install, we energize, and we renew voluntarily, day after day after day, we go to the store, we buy something, they charge sales tax. We have the option to say, I oppose the sales tax, so I oppose purchasing. Well, imagine if 90% of consumers went to the store and loudly, all at once on the same day, told every cashier, every person in the store that they would buy the product, but for the fact that sales tax was being charged, that this is their way of opposing the imposition of sales tax. 
sales taxes would start to disappear within the week because all the stores would start going out of business and that would unfold exactly as anybody could understand. So we have the ability to control government, but we don't do that. We go and we buy things, we pay the sales tax, we accept that it's a necessity and all that money goes to energize government and it renews it. It's just like putting juice into a rechargeable battery. So we love our government. Our actions prove this continuously, day after day after day. Well, all the aliens are watching this. So they know that if they intercede or break this pattern of behavior that humans have established and follow, they are broadcasting to every other alien, hey, go ahead and disregard our social structures and disregard our hierarchy because we're disregarding it for humans on Earth. That's the last thing in the world they want because they know that they will invite in great trouble if they do that uh, because they understand that it is nearly fatal across the galaxy to be a hypocrite. You have to be consistent and honest. And so many people say, oh, why don't the aliens do this? Why don't the aliens do that? Well, the reason they don't do it is because you're asking them to be hypocrites, which would put them literally in danger if they were to do that. When I say literally in danger, uh, the, the technologies that have been developed can be used as great offensive weapons if necessary. They don't. Uh, the Syrians are probably our principal guardian protectors of alien extraterrestrials. They are often typically re uh, referred to as the tall grays because mm -hmm. that's how they look. But they're from Sirius and it's a big bright star in the sky. It's about seven or eight light years away. Uh, they have very advanced technology and very, very advanced quote unquote firepower. Uh, very benevolent, they're very nice, but they've made it very clear to any of these potentially ill intended civilizations from elsewhere stay out of our cluster, and that includes Earth. But it's not, Earth is unique, it's stay out of our cluster, or we'll zap you. Uh, it's mutually assured destruction and deterrence, but it's just understood. It isn't something where anybody goes around threatening anybody. Uh, they're way beyond that. They're very uh, uh, cooperative, and they get along with each other because everybody understands there's no, there's no benefit from setting off conflicts between different situations. Everybody loses immediately. Everyone's a loser. No one's going to stand to gain anything. On Earth, we have this notion, the most recent example of the Taliban attempting to take over. In Afghanistan, in, in, in Earth, we cling, we cling to the notion of the zero-sum game like a bark hugs a tree. We just love this idea that for me to gain, something or someone else has to lose. Uh, uh, so... It isn't just that I prevail, the other guy has to go down in flames along with it. Uh, politics, again, to set an example, uh, shows how this occurs all the time. It isn't just enough for this special interest to get ahead. Any other special interest that they see as being opposed to them ha has to be made to lose out, not just not win. Well, the aliens out in, in the galaxy realize that this is absolutely ridiculous. It's not going to produce a damn thing. It's not going to get anywhere. It's like a bank robber. He wants to steal money so that he can use the money to make a legitimate purchase. What happens to the bank robber? Well, we all know bank robbers, 98% of them get caught, and usually within a couple of days. And not only do they not get what they were looking for uh, by committing an armed robbery, they lose everything that they have. They work completely against their interests. All normal, sane people, 99.999% of the population knows this and sees it very obviously. This is exactly the relationship and the condition that applies to all of these aliens in, in, the, atmosphere, in, the, uh, in the galaxy. 
that they know that, that creating hostility or attempting to be aggressive is going to blow up in their face. It's going to produce absolutely nothing for them right now. And it's going to produce problems within the next minute. So don't do it. Hmm. It makes sense. Um, would they do it if we were faced, if we, if we reached a brink where we're just going to destroy ourselves completely? They, they have. But not the alien extraterrestrials. Uh, our guardian angels have done that. Alien extraterrestrials uh, are under a self-created uh, prime directive, so to speak, to use the Star Trek term, to not interfere. In other words, they're not allowed to, of their own accord, on their own volition, interfere with or do anything to human societies that would change uh, our decisions in the course of our history uh, that isn't caused by natural forces on Earth, weather, geological, things like that, or forces in the atmosphere. For example, a coronal mass ejection of the sun and then an electromagnetic pulse which reaches Earth and causes havoc with electronics. That's another example. Things like that are obviously allowed to occur to us. Uh, a volcanic eruption, a tsunami afterwards, all that stuff, an earthquake. But alien extraterrestrials are not allowed to do anything that would interfere, that would cause us to change course as a civilization, that we don't want to. Now, flip that over, we are allowed to invite them in anytime. And we can. If we could get a majority of the human population, if we could get to a tipping point where a certain percentage of the human adult population could affirmatively, intentionally invite aliens to come establish contact with us across the board, it would start happening next week, maybe sooner. But that's not going to happen until that percentage of the human population believes that this could happen, that the aliens truly exist. Well, why are we going to believe it? Once again, we've got to hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it, or see it. And if we don't see video, especially today with modern technology, if we don't hear it or see the video or the photos, it doesn't exist. So we don't believe it. We just write it off. Mm -hmm. So the aliens say, well, okay, you don't want to believe it. You know, let's say you've got a, uh, I don't know, a missionary, somebody that's uh, proselytizing, trying to knock on doors and invite people to join the Baptist church or become uh, Mormons or or, 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 or or the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I get all the names backwards. We've all had them come knocking on the door and trying to help people join. Well, are we going to send somebody like that to an orphanage with a whole bunch of 10-year-old kids, of course not. It's a waste of time. 10-year-old kids are just not going to listen, and they're not going to join. They're, this is what we, the humans, are as a society, as a race, when it comes to the topic of aliens and being invited by the aliens uh, to know about them or invite them to come visit us. Not enough of us will do it. Now, if enough of us did it, uh, we'd find out from them tomorrow. Hmm. But uh, very soon afterwards would come up the question, oh, by the way, how long have y'all been visiting and coming to Earth? And uh, who'd you contact in the government? What does the government know about? So they would start telling us, well, we would blow our collective top when we found out the depth and the breadth of the bullshit and the cover-up just on the topic of aliens. So it would literally bring down governments. That's the problem. 
Are they going to come in and give us something that they know how humans are going to react and we're going to bring down the government because the aliens told us about it? Now, if we want to bring down our government, we can do it. And we've done that many times. Uh, it's just happened in November 2020. used to be that they would assassinate somebody like uh, Dallas, Texas in November of 1963. That's how you got rid of a president that you don't like. November 2020, we found a new way to do it. How to remove a president under a coup and make it look good, blame somebody else and make it look like something other than what it was. That's uh, becoming ever obvious every day in the news. Uh, this idea that 81 million Americans voted for the guy who's in the White House now just doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, the fact that a lot of people disliked the previous president to vote for the new one because they want to get the other guy out is true. That's always true. That, that's part of it. But uh, this was an engineered coup because we can no longer use hunting rifles and, and open open air cars. Uh, attempting to uh, uh, remove a president or a, or a head of state in a bloody coup uh, was too messy. The the effects uh, would make it make it too difficult. So it had to be done a different way. But it was done. But this is this is this is what humans do. We know how to do it. We know how to change governments and bring down governments or put things in place a certain way. The aliens are never going to get involved in this process. They're never going to do anything that's going to cause this. We, the humans, have to together say, please answer our questions. We promise we won't burn our own house down when we find out what you're going to tell us. Be honest with us, but we'll behave with the information. We won't get upset and angry. We won't set off a riot. Now, if they know that we are not going to set off a worldwide riot and burn down cities and cause all sorts of trouble, all we'll do is complain with our mouths, which is fine. That's free speech. They'll tell us. They'll tell us whatever we want to know. Problem is, do we want to know it? Are we even willing to acknowledge they exist and that they have this information? Hmm. Uh, the powers that be in government know all this. They're terrified that this idea would catch fire amongst the population. So they let out enough dribs and drabs to pacify us. Uh, so they'll release a 15-year-old video that was taken by uh, the camera on uh, military aircraft, and they'll intentionally make that imagery fuzzy or blurred, and, and they'll, they'll fabricate a good tale, and they'll release that. And, of course, it's new and it's unique, so it titillates everybody. But it's barely a drop of water compared to a full bathtub. Uh, when the amount of information and knowledge of alien extraterrestrials that is in the hands of humans in many governments actually exists. Interesting. So what what is their planet? Just to hang out and watch? No. They're, no they're, uh, they've been doing that since the beginning of time. Uh, and their plan has never been just to hang out and watch. Their plan is to help us and assist us. We're their cousins. They love us. They want to interact with us, but they don't want to harm us. Plus, they don't want to disturb the show. And uh, for the past 150 years, especially the last 50, mankind has been putting on a show that is more entertaining for them than anything else. Uh, think of a scientist on Earth. A scientist can't disturb whatever subject it's studying. It'll destroy the experiment. It'll destroy the, the, the investigation. The whole, the whole purpose of the study is to learn about without manipulating or changing. Uh, same thing with... The way journalism is 
in, in theory is supposed to work is that the reporters provide the information. Now they they become part of the story and they 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 mix in their emotions and their their opinions. It's the same thing. The aliens understand this that if they do anything to interfere with human societies, they're going to be disturbing us. They're fascinated by watching what we do. Absolutely fascinated. They've all gone through phases like this in the history of their civilizations. So for them, it's extremely entertaining to watch what humans do. To watch us take two steps forward, one step back, one step sideways, two steps back, two steps forward. All the in interactions, the interplay, the things that get said, the things that get done. Hmm. It's fascinating for them. They don't want to disturb that. And they generally can't, unless we become aware of it. Now, going forward... Uh, there are many significant changes coming to Earth. They're coming now. You mentioned climate change earlier. In other words, what's really happening are erratic, somewhat extreme, unpredictable weather events uh, that we believe don't have much precedent. Well, they don't have much recent precedent, but we don't have weather records going back far enough to really say if they represent anything. But they are happening. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see increasingly more and more and more severe geophysical changes on earth. An example, in the northeastern part of the United States, they had a hurricane uh, go over Long Island, dissipated fairly quickly, and parts of the uh, state of New Jersey dumped eight or nine inches of water inside of an hour or two, and a week later, the strongest hurricane ever to hit Louisiana that we know of, uh, Hurricane Ida, roared ashore and made it all the way to the northeast and did it again. When has that part of the country ever had rainfall events where they had eight or 10 inches of water fall in the space of an hour or two? Never. Well, the reason that happened are the energetic changes that are occurring to Earth, which are affecting these unusual weather events. And we're going to have more and more of them. Volcanic eruptions, ash in the upper atmosphere, severe storms, earthquakes. We've been seeing them. We're going to have more of them. These are going to have profound effects on Earth societies. And at that point, our alien extraterrestrial cousins are going to step in to help us when things are changing in human society to the degree that they're stepping in is not going to be a material distortion. It's not going to adversely change things or even positively change it, but it's not going to change things because what's going on on Earth and what's occurring within human societies uh, is already gathered enough momentum and is moving along on its own. They're going to help us out and tell us what we can do to help ourselves, to, to, to do this better, to do this better, to explain things to us. This is going to have generally a positive effect, but it's going to scare the poop out of some people. Because there's some people that just believe that if you see a visitor from another another planet, that they're, they're hostile, they're sinister, and they're going to kill us all. Right. That's a very attractive, very seductive belief. It reels a lot of people in. Horror movies, a live horror movie, the zombie invasion, but it's here for real. Hmm. Some people get so excited over that, they wet themselves. They just love it. Well, that's, that's part of it. So that they'll be that. But most people are going to be very happy and pleased to encounter the alien extraterrestrials uh, to finally come to understand who they are and what they represent to us. That's good to know. Um, so before we wrap this up, where can my okay. listeners find you? 
Oh, uh, two places. If they're interested in my book, The Alien Handbook, uh, A Guide to Extraterrestrials, uh, they can find it either from the publisher, Ozark Mountain Publishing. Uh, very simple, spelled exactly like it sounds. So put Ozark Mountain Publishing into, for example, a search engine, DuckDuckGo or Bing or Google. It'll take you right to the publisher's uh, website. You can find the book there under my name, Patrick Kahan. Or even faster, you can go right to Amazon and books, put in the Alien Handbook, first name or last name, and it'll take you right to the book there. So that's one way they can find me and get the book and read all the detail that I put in there. Or uh, they can also, if they'd like, uh, I do this channeling as a hobby and I run a website, again, as a hobby, and I post all sorts of channeling on different subjects. The website address is theamendment.net. The word amendment, just like amendment to a constitution. Uh, but the website address is all spelled as one word, T-H-E-A-M-E-N-D-M-E-N-T dot net. And they can go there and they can read some of the postings I put up and uh, the banter and the interaction in the comments section with a lot of the regular readers of the website. And they can find some information there also. It's not a big fancy website. It's free. It doesn't cost any money. There's no subscriptions. You don't get pop-ups. There's no ads. It's just my hobby uh, that involves uh, channeling and information uh, as the book was. Awesome. So what I'll do is I'll post a link to uh, your book. And I'll also post a link to your website and those to this episode so my listeners can find you. Yes, and if they like what they see there, then they can go back all they want. It's free. It's no obligation. And they can find interesting information. I have recently been asked a lot about the coronavirus pandemic, uh, about politics, different things that are going on. I get a lot of questions from readers. I'm happy to address them. And we get all sorts of interesting answers uh, about that information and unique perspectives that aren't generally available elsewhere. Hmm. And from now on, uh, on and on, every once in a while, the topic of alien extraterrestrials comes up. So we bring that in too. Uh, I'm not a big U uh, ufologist, as they see, UFOologist. I'm not all that interested in the aliens themselves, which is almost heresy to most people that are fans of the topic because they want to know everything about the aliens. On the other side of the coin, I would like to hear all of the deep information that alien extraterrestrials can tell us about human societies and where we can do things better. I have some pretty good ideas from them and I get good information from a lot of them, but I would like to hear more. And I would like mankind in general. Uh, the problem or the challenge is most humans are absolutely not interested in that. I don't want to hear that. They want the excitement and the thrills of the spaceship landing and the green men getting out and walking up to somebody and saying, take me to your leader. That's much more of a priority for all. Hmm. Well, again, I will definitely share those links and notes. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to be on today. And uh, it was a fascinating interview. Thank you. Well, yeah, happy to do it, Gary. I'm glad you invited me. And I hope anybody who has listened enjoyed it. We will. And uh, hold on one second. I'm just going to play the outro. Gotcha. Message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com.
using this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only 